Well, welcome to another edition of Rolling Valley Stories. I'm excited today because we have as our guest, Brother Thompson. And this is my first time sitting down with you in your home. And it's awesome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for coming to our home to, to visit with us. We don't get many visitors. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm excited to get to know you more. So let's start with where you were born, where you grew up. What was your childhood like? We've been in Virginia about 30 years, but I was born in South Ogden. Washington Terrace area, lived there for about eight years. Then we moved out to Clearfield, and that's where I spent the rest of my childhood. But we actually, where I was born and grew up, my first eight years was like a half mile from Gwen's house. Really? So, but then I didn't get to meet her till I was 22. <laughs> but yeah, we moved to uh, out to Clearfield, a graduate of Clearfield High School. I attended Weber State College before I went on my mission. When you were growing up, how many brothers and sisters? I have a family of three other brothers, two sisters. So there were six of us growing up. The first four were really close together, you know, within like five, six years for the first four, that six years. And then the, the second two came a few years later, but they were considerably younger than us. Both my parents worked. My mom worked at uh, the Hill Air Force Base there in Layton. Okay. And my dad worked for several private companies as well as he was, his second job was a taxi cab driver in Utah, in Ogden, Utah. Those were a lot of fun stories. But as kids, we had a lot of independence during the day. <laughs> we had childcare ladies that were in the home. They kind of, they kept the house clean and did the laundry and did things like that. And, you know, fed us kids lunch in the summer. In the in the summertime, we were out from school, but mostly sun up till dinner time, sundown. We were out running around, causing some sort of trouble or doing crazy things. Did you grow up as members of the church? Everybody in the family, your parents, members yeah. of the church. Yeah, we're uh, I might say pioneer stock. My great grandfather joined the church after the Civil War and emigrated to Utah and. Uh, my dad grew up in Idaho, southern Idaho, outside of Blackfoot, and then moved to Ogden when, before he went in the Navy. And so we're all members of the church. My grandparents worked in the Salt Lake Temple. So we grew up just regular Utah Latter-day Saints, yeah. and uh, you know, deacon at 12 and teacher at 14, and worked through the motions until it was time to go on my mission. Had no plans to go on to serve a mission until I was like 18 and nine months old. And then I also got the idea that just came into my head, I need to go on a mission. So I submitted the paperwork. I was had longer hair, kind of like I had a couple a year ago or ago before the temple opened while I was growing my hair out. My, my hair was long when I was a teenager. And uh, when I told the barber to cut my hair off because I was going on a mission, it shocked everybody in the shop. And they said, oh, no. <laughs> It was fun to see their faces. I still remember seeing their faces because they've been uh, been going to see them for several years. So you you said that there was you had a lot of independence when you were growing up because your parents were both working. Is there a story that that you have from your childhood that you would not want your parents to know about? <laughs> no, I think they know everything. They they know we were busy. <laughs> yeah. I have some scars. <laughs> Um, which they're aware of and, and how I got them. I've got a nice scar on my arm from uh, reaching up over the fence trying to steal apricots. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. And came down on top of the bob wire and on the top, so I got a nice scar there. My dad and mom both kept tried to keep us busy with responsibilities, and from the time I was really young, started mowing the lawn. You know, nine, ten years old, responsible for mowing the lawn, and and our summer job was to dig the dandelions. So we would get the dandelion digger and we would dig dandelions and my dad would pay us a penny a dandelion once a week. So we, we collected them up and we worked really hard to, to get that 50 cents or so every week. <laughs> I remember one summer, I was about 14, 14 or 15, my brother and older brother and I decided we, we wanted to get uh, a bow, a real nice bear bow. And my dad said, okay, I'll get it. Do your chores every day through the summer, and at the other end of the summer, then then you'll earn the bow. And so, we were really good at it. my older brother and I. We were really good at doing our chores in the yard, watering, mowing the lawn, taking care of the garden. We had a, not just just a residential plot. We didn't have a big garden, a big yard. So it worked. It worked really good till about the first part of August, and then and then we learned that my dad had already bought the bow. So we quit working. <laughs> so the rest of the summer, the, gar the weeds grew much more in the, gar in the garden and the, mow the lawn didn't get mowed as much. And we just kind of said, you already bought the bow. Why do we have to keep working? I don't understand. <laughs> Lost he, all incentive. Yeah, we did lose our incentive, but yeah, he still kept the thread out there. It was sufficient to make us keep working for it. But it was a good bow that we, we worked for. And I learned, so from there, I learned that if you want anything, you got to work for it. Tell me about the development of your testimony as a kid. How did you develop your testimony? Well, growing up, I think growing up in a Latter-day Saint family in Utah, just going to church was the social thing to do. Hmm. And uh, we did the right things. Sometimes I didn't do the right things, but we did most of the right things. I guess enough to convince me I wanted to go on a mission when I turned 19. And I don't recall any real significant spiritual events or anything other than my teachers were really good. We knew we, the teachers liked us and we were always good friends with the neighbors because the wards were small, compacted, you know, two or three streets was a ward. And uh, we just got to know them really well. Most of my spiritual development, we did uh, release time seminary all through the four years of seminary in high school. We got that one hour away from school to go to the seminary building and, and back so we got that but most of my testimony development happened after I got on my mission once I decided to go things just kind of changed a little bit and I just had opportunities to to learn more I was more motivated to learn scriptures and doctrine and, and how does this churchy stuff work type thing so how did you eventually then decide to go on a mission well somewhere around that time about 18 and a half I was also impressed to get a patriarchal to get my patriarchal blessing. Mm. So I got my patriarchal blessing and not expecting a lot, but when I got home from after receiving the patriarchal blessing, not really understanding what had happened. The patriarch was a wonderful spiritual man. I could feel that and he did good. I came home and went into my bedroom and just kind of teared up and got emotional for a little bit. And my mom actually came to my bedroom door, knocked on it, asked me if everything was okay. And 
it's okay, ma, it's all right, don't go, you know. <laughs> and it was like, what's going on? <laughs> this never happened to me before. <laughs> now I cry all the time. <laughs> but uh, so I it was, felt uh, the spirit at that time and uh, said, okay, that, this is going to work out well. And uh, a, a lot of good experiences on my mission, teaching and feeling the spirit and being guided by the spirit that taught me that, yeah, the Heavenly Father really is involved in our lives every day and wants to be. So. And where did you go on your mission? Illinois. Illinois. So uh, most of the time is Illinois. My first area was Rockford, Illinois. I spent six months there. My mission was not transfer every four to six weeks. <laughs> I spent six months in Rockford, and then I was another five months in uh, Mount Prospect, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. And then I got transferred to a little town called Kiwani, Illinois, that's a couple, four, three hours south of Chicago in a little farming community. I spent seven months there. It was walking, and uh, the whole town was surrounded by cornfields, and the town itself was only like four square miles. Wow. <laughs> I tracked in, in the three, seven months I was there, I tracked it out three times. <laughs> that's how small it was. I knocked on every door three times, at least. Got a few callbacks. We had some baptisms, a lot, one or two, just one or two. When you look back at your, or think back about your mission, are there one or two stories that you really remember uh, that maybe changed you or were spiritual experiences for you during your mission? I think there was two. Let me, let me just talk about one. One of the families in, in the branch, they were all members except for the dad. So the father had never joined the church, but he was supportive of the church. When I was moved into the area, it had been closed. The area had been closed for the previous six months. So they hadn't had any elders there for six months. And then I got there and my companion and I, but we did a lot of work with that family. And I remember one time the mom and the dad of that family, for some reason, just out of the blue invited us to go to the diner, invite us out to dinner. And while we were visiting with them, just talking, table talk, he just stopped and said, okay, elder, I need you to explain to me how this eternal family concept works. How does it work, you know, from one generation to this? How, how does we have internal families? And I went, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't say, I don't know, but it took me a pause and I said some things that uh, I don't really remember what I said, but it seemed to make sense to him, and it felt like it was the right thing. And I thought, I must have learned more in seminary than I thought I was learning. <laughs> it was like osmosis. They just showed up, and then, uh, then I did get transferred out. The dad did get baptized at that point, and the next time I saw him, he had just been a member just about a year, he'd made the year, and he was a counselor in the district presidency. Wow. So he was just waiting for his time. I don't know if I did anything about it, but that was an interesting question that he asked. The Spirit helped me answer the question, and, or to his satisfaction, or he got something out of it, and he joined the church. Well, it sounds like he had a huge impact on his, mm. on his testimony. I had another experience. I had a, a lady, a, a single mom, that I had a chance to teach. We tracked it into her. Uh, she was in the yard planting her tree with her little three, with her three-year-old daughter. 
we just stood out there and talked with her. I think we set up a table and chairs or something. She'd up, set up table and chairs. And she was pretty much our age. She was a peer, not much older than we were. She coached me really hard for me to give her my real first name other than Elder. So she wanted to know what my real first name was because she didn't want to call me Elder because we were almost the same age. We shared the first discussion information with her, you know, Joseph Smith testimony. I bore my testimony. She said, well, if you really believe in this stuff, can you say a prayer for my tree? Because she just planted it. So okay. I said, okay. So we said a prayer for her tree and then uh, went on for a little 20 minute meeting, went on from there. Never, never got a chance to go back and teach her or anything. In 2017, Gwen and I went on a church history tour. We started in, you know, Palmyra, New York, and after seven days, we ended up in St. Louis to get on the plane and fly home. We decided to rent a car and see some of the sites in Illinois, and I got kept getting prompted. Eventually, we ended up driving to Kiwani. We drove up to Kiwani, and we got there Saturday night, so we'd go to church Sunday. And the whole time, I was wondering if anybody was going to remember who I was. Yeah. Why would somebody remember, it's 47 years later, why would somebody remember who Elder Thompson was? I thought I had such a big impression. And we get into the ward, and the ward has like, the attendance that day was like 20 people. There was Gwen and I, and a family of six people from Idaho that were visiting that day, and that was <laughs> plus the regular ward members. So after the service, we stood up, looked around, uh, looking around, uh, see if anybody, rec see if I can recognize any of these old people in there, you know. And all of a sudden I hear a voice said, Elder Thompson, Elder Dennis Thompson, Dennis Thompson, I don't know what to call you. And I turn around and there's this lady, she's about four feet tall, come running up to me and said, you are my missionary. And I said, what? You don't remember me? And I said, no, I don't remember you. I said, I'm sorry, but I, I'm hard hard time remembering anybody. She says, my name is, when you knew me, my name was Sister Johnson, and because of you, I joined the church. And then she told me that she was, 47 years ago, she was the, the lady with the daughter whose tree I blessed. But during, after I got transferred out, she, she moved into the town and looked up the missionaries, joined the church, raised her family in the church, and spent the whole life growing, her, the rest of her adult life growing up in the, in the Kiwani ward at the Relief Society president and primary and all that, all that stuff, raised five kids and they're all in, active in the church. I said, well, that's a good thing to know. <laughs> what an amazing story, right? Yeah. You never know the impact that you're gonna make. I mean, even a small 20 minute conversation you never know the impact that that's going to make on somebody's complete life. No, you don't. And sharing your testimony, and you know, that's one of the items in my patriarchal blessing that says you'll have opportunities to share your testimony. So that's what I try to do now. After this experience, I realize, hey, it does work. And what a, an incredible blessing that it was for you to go back and see some of that fruits of your labor. Because a lot of times in our lives, we don't necessarily get to see those. It was a real blessing because Gwen had been bothering me for the two years trying to get on, get me to go on that tour, and I just couldn't convince myself it was time to go yet. Yeah. And then January, February of 2017, I said, okay, I'm going to book it, and I did, and we got there. And the other part of the story was that Sunday, 
she had been less active for several months, and that Sunday was the first Sunday she'd been back to church in over six months. Oh, wow. So Heavenly Father's hand when it was in all of that, and uh, after we got home, I got a letter from her daughter that said, thank goodness my mom found you or you found my mom because I'd been praying to Heavenly Father for six months that I could be led back to the missionary who brought us into the church so that you know she could tell her story and about growing, her family is now growing up in the church and missions and married in the temple and activity and how much a blessing the gospel has been to her. So you were there and first taught her when she joined the church or when she learned about the church and you were there first when she came back to church. Mm -hmm. So that's how, you know, they, sometimes this faith-promoting experience takes a long time. Yeah. Takes some effort. Takes some effort to stick with itiveness, you know, yeah. stick to itiveness. So you came home from your mission, and did you decide to go to school? What did you decide to do? I got me a real good job selling Kirby vacuums door to door. <laughs> <laughs> I got a really good job, you know. As, those sales organizations, they like those return missionaries that, that are comfortable, you know, just like... Yeah, they do. Like the exterminate, you know, pest control guys in the summertime, you know. But this was the job I got coming home, and, and so I did that. And we went out as crews every day, knocking doors, convincing people they wanted to see our demonstration and sell them a Kirby vacuum. So a lot of people say that's a great thing. I did them a service because I sold them one, and some will say I didn't, so I don't know. But uh, that's how I met Gwen. I knocked on her door one afternoon and said, is your mom home? And she said, no. And I was feeling kind of trying to get a date. So every, every young girl that I met out selling, knocking doors, stopping for lunch, <laughs> I, I closed the deal and trying to get their phone number. <laughs> I was practicing, practicing closing the deal and getting phone numbers. And so she gave me her phone number so I could, you know, it's a pretense to call back on her on her mom and get, make an appointment and I don't know if it was a, a, a daydream or actually seeing her again I drove by her house and the image of driving by driving by her house and she was in the front yard and the thought came to my mind that said if you marry her you may become a better man and so oh so it's like oh okay but she didn't become an exclusively dating at that time. I didn't say, oh, she's the one. Because it didn't, yeah. you know, the impression wasn't if the, she's the one. It says, if you marry her, you may become a better man. So that word if has been a significant faith builder for me that says, Heavenly Father will always, if guarantees our agency, if you do this, then this will. I will provide this or whatever you want, you yeah. know, whatever you're asking for. But I'm not going to make you do it. I'm not going to make you, you don't have to do it. It's just if you do it, you will receive the blessings accordingly. I went back to work and I was working six days a week and 12 hours a day, six days a week trying to make a living and finally got half a day off on a Saturday, Friday or Saturday and I gave her a call and said, hey, do you want to go to the movies? And she said, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> Remember, I had re, you know, remind her who I was. And she said, oh, I don't know. But, uh, okay, you know, all right, pick me up at this time. And we went to the drive-in movie theater there in, Roy, in Riverdale, Utah. And we get there drive-in. She was working and going to school. And I had been working 
every day. And so we get to the movie about 30 minutes into the first feature, we both fell asleep. <laughs> I think really? you because fell asleep, we woke both both of you fell asleep on your first date. Yeah, we fell asleep. We woke up sometime at the end of the second feature. You know, they had two features at the drive-in movie, and they said, "Oh, okay, let's go home. I'll take you home." And took her home, and oh, we didn't see each other again for another couple of three weeks till I got another day off. So, so that's a good first date. <laughs> but ever so that since then, every day of our marriage, I. That thought comes to my mind, said, if you marry her, you may become a better man. And from there, it just adds that little bit of stick-to-itiveness, no matter what the issue is or no matter what's going on. You're going to learn from it somehow. You're going to learn something from the, whatever the experience is. You can hold Heavenly Father to the covenant that He gives you. Is there a specific area in your life that you think you are a better man because of that? It's maybe more spiritual in the fact that I want to do more about, I want to do the right thing. I have become more sensitive about spiritual things so that I can do the right thing and may try and make the right choices. And the other one was to make sure I provide properly for the family. So that's always been economically, an economical driver to make sure that we have sufficient for our needs and for the lifestyle that Gwen wants to become accustomed to. <laughs> So you, you get married, you start a family. How many How many? So we had, we had three girls. First one came, we got married in 1975. The first girl was born in 77. And so we had three girls and we just raised girls. And then, so, <laughs> so people, some, sometimes people say, how'd you raise three girls? And I, I treated them just like boys. <laughs> treated them just like boys. If I was doing a project, they had to get right in and do it too. You know, get dirty. I taught them all that they don't get to get their driver's license till they know how to change a tire and change the oil. <laughs> and the test was dark and in the rain. I'd send them out, now go change the tire. <laughs> go out there in the rain and change the tire because no safer place than your driveway, but you might as well give it a shot, see if you get it right. So you're kind of known in the ward as, a, as the handyman. So is that something you taught your daughters? How did you even become a, a handyman? How does it, how did you get to learn that skill? After we moved to Virginia, we came from Utah. Gwen got me the job with the Department of the Treasury and sticker shock hit us from Utah. You know, yeah. Our house in Utah, we, we put on the market for $44,000 wow. and we get here and the cheapest thing, you know, the houses here started in the 200s and you think, well, you know, Plus, we're still pretty much on the same wages as we had in Utah for a few years. So we rented for a while, and I was struggling to make sure we could keep the cars running and, and things, being able to do things, you know. Didn't want to take it to the garage and pay somebody, pay $120 an hour at the time to yeah. fix something, and I said, I can do this myself. That's the way my dad sort of raised me. You can do it yourself, figure it out. And uh, I was working on a car, a really troublesome project changing the water heater in a Dodge Caravan. They put it in the hottest place to get to. The water, not the water heater, but the water pump. It was in the hottest place. So I had to really tear down the engine to get to it. I just said, you know, Heavenly Father, I, I know you can teach me how to do this because you taught Nephi how to build a boat and make a <laughs> yeah. bow. But if you teach me how to fix a car or any other skill that's, that I need to learn, then whoever asks for that service, I'll give it to them for free. You know, I won't charge anybody anything for my service. 
if you teach me how to do it, then I'll share it with whoever needs it. He put me to the test right after that. We got the car <laughs> running, but then shortly after that, I went through a couple of broken toilets and fixing, fixing toilets. And then I got, went through a couple of times of fixing light switches and, you know, troubleshooting electrical things. And, and I recognized it as a learning exercise because just after I did something and learned how to do it, whether it was on a car, plumbing, or something, change out faucets or something, and then somebody in the ward would come and ask me if I had done, if, if I could help them do something like that. You know, can you come over and take a look at my toilet? It's, it's not working right. It's not flushing light or I think it's leaking or something. Or I have a light switch that's just giving me trouble. I don't know if it's broken. It needs to be replaced. Can you take a look at it before I call an electrician or a plumber? And I said, I said, well, sure. Or they would say, can you fix this? Can you fix this for me? And I would say, I don't know if I can because Heavenly Father hasn't taught me how to do it <laughs> the way you need to have it done yet. So I tried to take, you know, I worked really hard at keeping my ego out of yeah. it, you know, don't, inha don't inhale. But it sounds like he, almost like he was preparing you uh, with training you how to do these things and then you would turn around and provide that service. And inevitably somebody would need that service. So they did. And, and, then, and then I'd get a thought that a certain individual in the ward needs a service done. I didn't know what it was, but... I would say, hey, is there anything I can do for you? I, I, I think you need something done in your house, but I don't know what it is. But you let me know what it is, and, and we'll see what we can do. And they always say, oh, no, I don't, I don't have anything like that. I don't, I don't have anything. And then I'd go back the next Sunday and say, hi, did you, get it? did you think of anything I can do for you yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what can I do to help? Come on, there's got to be something. I wouldn't be asking. And they said, no, I don't think so. And then the third week, he actually came, that brother came to me and said, think we have something that you might be able to help with us. Can you help us remodel our bathroom? Oh, wow. And I said, I don't know, but I'm excited. <laughs> I'm glad it worked. I'm glad we're finally on the same. So I went to their home and it was an elderly couple. Been tired. He had been tired for a long, retired for a long time. And, and I walk in and, and she just went through this whole history of this bathroom and all the trouble and problems that had been to them for the you know, 30, or 30 years plus they'd been in the house. Mm -hmm. Can you do this? Can you do that? I said, I think so. Yeah, we can work on that part. Place the toilet. This is mostly vanity in the sink and the toilet. We weren't going to mess with the tub. That was a pretty tub. It was blue from the 60s. I said, oh, we don't want to get rid of that. <laughs> Somebody's going to want that left in the house someday. <laughs> but redid the floor. The Spirit sent me on a, on a wild goose chase out in Manassas one day. One Saturday, I kind of got lost out in the far western part of Manassas. And driving back, I found the Habitat for Humanity store. So I said, oh, and I got the impression to pull in there. And I pulled in there, and I went rooting through their stuff. And I found a vanity that was just about the right size for this brother and sister's bathroom and the vanity top with a sink. And it was white and all that. And put it in the, bought it, put it in the truck, drove over to the sister's house, the brother and sister's home. I said, come out and take a look at what I got in the truck and see if this, see if you agree, if you want this. She came out and said, that's exactly what I want. Wow. And I said, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness. So within a few weeks, we got the bathroom redone. I asked my future son-in-law to come help and he helped me do the flooring but we had to break out the floor and re redo the sub on the sub floor and 
it was a fun project. And to pay for it, I put the word out in Ward Council and to the high priest group and said, you know, this brother needs his bathroom remodeled. I'm doing it, but the supplies are, are this much, you know. Can, if anybody wants to contribute to it, they can. And at the same time, Gwen got a commission to make a quilt for somebody. Hmm. And they both came in with the money to pay for the supplies to rebottle this brother and sister's bathroom. As you've been describing your life, whether it was in, you know, as a child or during the mission or, or, or now serving in the ward, I've noticed that you, you truly try to follow the promptings of the Spirit. Are there any, any stories that you can tell us about you know, times that you followed the promptings of the Spirit and, and how that turned out for you? There was one, my daughter, when she was 16, 17, she wanted to go to this party. At the time, we were living in Alexandria. She was going to Thomas Edison High School and she got invited to a party and she really insisted she wanted to go. So I drove her there to the neighborhood and with the idea of coming back in a couple of hours to pick her up. So she went and she got in there and this was before cell phones, no cell phones. So, And I just went to drive away, but I couldn't leave the neighborhood. I just kind of kept driving in a circle. I would try to turn to go home but no, I would turn the other direction and just, I circled the block for like 30 minutes. And then the last time I came around the block, my daughter standing on the sidewalk in front of this place. And she said, I'm glad you're here. And I picked her up and she says, I didn't want to stay to that party. It wasn't, it wasn't a good place to be. Hmm. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and then we drove home and it's like, I didn't make a big deal of it or anything. And, but. I think that's a memory that she has recalled to me a couple of times that she was glad that I was there to pick her up even though I shouldn't have been. That's one a lot with the kids all the time, just thinking about doing things. Sometimes it makes it a challenge. Sometimes Gwen wants to do something and I'm not quite ready to do it. But uh, when she got her can when she had her surgeries coming back from a trek back in 2003, while we were there, I guess her she had a medical situation. It wasn't an emergency at the time, but it got worse as we came home. And by the time we got to the ER, we learned that her colon had ruptured, like an appendix, appendicitis rupture, but it was her yeah. colon. And uh, we had emergency surgery that night and got all that taken care of. And the whole time, I was just thinking, she's, you know, there's. I had no worries or concerns that she was not going to make it, although the doctor kept saying, you know, 40% survival rate, 60% against. So, and the same with her Gwen's cancer diagnosis. I just never had a concern that it was going to end not favorably, and it kind of frustrated every. I, I, you know, my kids were all upset, and it's not, everything's going to be fine. So they said. They had to learn to agree with me. Everything's going to be okay. You know, it's going to work. How did, how did you learn to, to have that kind of trust in Heavenly Father? Is that something that you've always had throughout your life? Or mm -hmm. how, did you, how did you develop that trust that, you know, when Gwen goes to the hospital, you know that she's going to be okay? How did you develop that trust? I think it was learning how to do all these handyman projects. Each one was a teaching process, and each one I learned more and more how to recognize. Recognize the Spirit. The Spirit teaching me how to do it or prompting me in a certain direction. It just grew out of doing service. Hmm. I mean, the more service I did, when I did service, I, I just had more strength, more energy, more 
abilities. Was there a time that you were prompted to do something and then you, you didn't do it? And later oh, out? yeah, there was. <laughs> there was. <laughs> that happened several, a couple of times. Because those times can help build trust as well, right? Right. One of the processes is like the experience Joseph Smith had when Moroni came to him three times in the night and then, then in the morning, early morning hours about the Book of Mormon, yeah. the Golden Plates. Yeah. I've had that experience a couple of, more than once, where... I have a project coming up the next day or two that somebody asked me to do that I'd never done before. You know, I have some confidence. I think I know what I'm doing, but I'm not quite sure. And Gwen will attest to this, but then I will have a restless night. I mean, I've had one specific, the first time it was like every step in the process that I was supposed to do, you know, which tool, how to use it, what to look for, would run through my mind and then like, I had done the whole, the whole project, and then I wake, and then I would fall asleep for a little while, and then I'd wake up again, or become dream about it again, and it would go through, repeat the exact same steps and processes, hmm. and that was four times. And the last time was like between five and six o'clock in the morning, just before it was time to wake up, and I went there, and so I, I knew the tools I was supposed to take and exact process of how to do it, and I would do it that way, and then. One time I didn't. Like I said, I tested it one time. I said, I know, I think I know how I'm supposed to do this, but I'm going to do it my, my way. <laughs> and it didn't work out. It just, it just fell apart. You know, just the whole, everything just fell apart and it wouldn't work. It wouldn't go together. And whatever I was trying to do, it just was not going to work. And so I stopped, take a step back and said, okay, now I understand. We'll do it your way. And then fall into, fall into doing it the way had been instructed to do in my dreams, and it worked out perfect. They kind of did the same thing when I was in ROTC at Weber State College in orienteering. You know, you learn all the right ways to do it, and I, I did that exercise. I said, I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> After about 30 or 40 minutes, everybody else was on that side of the mountain, and I was over here, and I said, why? <laughs> Okay, now what are the correct principles for taking a, a site with a compass? And which way's north? <laughs> How do you read the map? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's the way it, it, it gives you that, that leeway to make a mistake and, and then correct it. Well, what an incredible life lesson, especially over time, that you've been able to uh, receive those promptings, accept those promptings, and then, and then go do those, especially in, in service of others. And how that's taught you to not only build that relationship with your heavenly Father, but also and learn how to use the Spirit, but also uh, serve others while you're while you're doing that. That's incredible. I think serving others is the biggest thing, the biggest reward for doing it. It's not what I've learned or my motto at when I was getting ready to retire. People would say, "What are you going to do when you retire?" And I said, "Well, I have a garage full of tools and a ward full of projects." <laughs> and they said, "What?" <laughs> And so it's worked out that way. So it's been that way really good. One of the questions that I, I enjoy asking uh, at the end is, if your posterity were to listen to this podcast, this recording 100 years from now, what message would you want to give them? I thought about that. There's two. One is the message that my mom provide. Every letter that my mom sent me on my mission ended with, keep on keeping on. Mm. So that's kind of been my motto since from then on that's just kind of always gone in the background just keep on keeping on 
If you want to know anything, you have to do something. If you want to know anything about anything, you've got to do something to get there. Hmm. Whether practice, try, read a book, whatever. But the one I really want to live with everybody was my dad's motto for his life, or the one he taught us. My dad died when he was 92, passed away when he was 92. And the story is, for those who were with him when he was passing, the last words he said were, what you want and what you get are two different things. And that's the last thing he said. He says, now I understand my dad. <laughs> I understand what's going on here. And that's sometimes that's Heavenly Father's message too. What you want and what you get are two different things. You have to be prepared for an alternative way to do something. So we adapted that as our family motto a couple of years ago. That's a great message. Yeah. That's a great message. So that's what we got. So that's what I want to make sure my progenitor knows, progenitors know about. Well, it's been great talking with you today. You're just a fantastic member. I, there's, you, you have served so many people in the ward, and we're, we're just so grateful for you and for your efforts. Thanks for sharing your story with us today. We really appreciate you, you being here uh, on the podcast with us today. Thank you. It's been fun. I'm glad I got my stories out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to this edition of Rolling Valley Stories. We really appreciate uh, you listening and tuning in. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>